Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, December the 6th, 2017, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, Cindy, I, I'm so glad you came back. I thought maybe I might have scared you away, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't scare easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's really good to know. So have you had any wins in the last 24 hours? Well, we talked yesterday about getting the right amount of sleep. And right. I think we, uh, the science said that for happiness, seven hours and six minutes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I got seven hours and six minutes. Oh, you timed last it. Night. <laughs> no, I, I just know that I slept well last night, and I, I took that for granted for a long time until I went through a period where I had some insomnia and I wasn't sleeping well. And like a good night of rest just feel just feels magical. So that's my recent win is that I slept really well last night. That's fantastic, actually, and and I agree with you. the The importance of sleep can't be overrated. You you have to have enough sleep. I mean, for some people, perhaps you can get too much sleep, but I think for most people, it's a lack of sleep these days because everybody's you know living these high stress, uh, aggressive, very very busy lives, and you need to have that downtime. You need to have that time to let your body and your mind just unwind and just. It's like Abraham says, to let the law of attraction just subside for a night. <laughs> so I'm glad you're getting to sleep. That's great. That's a good win. What about you? What's your most recent win? Oh, wow. Let's see. The last 24 hours, I, I mean, every single day since I've started doing the daily podcast has been an adventure, <laughs> often ironing stuff out, things aren't working properly, and there's still some things that aren't quite right, but you know, like, I'm just working on them one at a time and so forth. I think the biggest win, believe it or not, was going through doing all that stuff and not getting down on myself, you know, feeling good about it, feeling like I'm making some progress, even on the times where I wasn't making progress, and, and just coming through it with, with a positive attitude. That, that alone is a big victory for me because there have been so many times in my life, you know, where I got into the other zone of, oh, God, and start stressing out and all that kind of thing, and I'm not doing that. In fact, oh, and I... I, I, I've recently started doing something that you would have thought I had done previously. I had actually only read two of the Abraham Hicks books. I've read... Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I've read Ask and It Is Given and Money in the Law of Attraction, but there's other, like three or four others that I hadn't even looked at, and I figured I should probably start reading those others, too. There's some good stuff in there, I'm sure. So I, <laughs> I found through my library that um, there, there's an anthology, I guess, they put together called something like The Essential Law of Attraction, and it contains three of the books, two of which I had not read. So I started reading one of them. That was the original Law of Attraction. That one I started getting some good stuff out of. And then I got the Vortex. The Vortex was actually in my library, which was really a surprise. So I got the Vortex out, and I started reading that last night. And I came to a section of it that it, this is not the way that it said it, but this is the way it worked it in my mind. It's, it was talking about relationships. and It was talking about how in relationships you want to get yourself into a place of balance before you try to take a step with the relationship. And what I heard in my head as I was reading it was, before you take any step with anything you want to do in your life, you want to bring yourself into balance. So if you want to you know, sit down to do some work, you want to bring yourself into balance first. If you want to go make a sandwich, you have to bring yourself into balance first. And, and when I thought about it that way, it was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be doing this all the time, not just a lot of the time throughout the day, all the time. That, that was a revelation. That reminds me of um, one of their 
methods or tools that they call, I think they call segment intending. Okay. Where it's, you know, they say a segment can be anything. It can be, you know, um, getting ready in the morning or it can be hopping on a phone call like now or it can be, you know, any segment of time. But it's like you said, it's like, okay, I'm going to go in and make a sandwich or I'm going to go in and do this. And it's it's being conscious about making an intention for that next segment of time. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I heard that, um, I had I had taught a class one time about conscious intentions. And, it, and I wasn't even speaking about segment intending, but when I read that, it's like, oh, that's, that's sort of the same thing. It's just like, okay, sitting down here, and you said, like, bring yourself into balance. Sitting down here, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to take a deep breath, you know, it's like grounding yourself and then intend, okay, this is going to be a great call. It's like this conscious doesn't have to take a long time or be complicated. It's just being conscious about what your next step is and how you want it to turn out. And I had a, a member of the class say that changed her life more than anything. Like she wrote me an email a few weeks after the class and said, I've been making conscious intentions just quickly for like everything and it's changed my whole life. That's fantastic. That, so that, of all their books, The Vortex is the one book that I don't think I have read. I think I've read everything else. So, And it's on my shelf. I just haven't picked <laughs> it up yet. It's funny how we put these things off. But, yeah, it's a small book compared to the others. It's not all that thick. But, yeah, I just never got around to it. But I have made a commitment between now and sometime early next year, I'm going to have read all the books or at least all of the oh. the the. the, the non-children books. I'll probably read the children's books at some point, but I'm just trying to do the adult books right now. <laughs> I forgot they had children's books. I, yeah. uh, I've heard good things about them. There, there, uh, I think the main character is Sarah, and I believe there are three of them, um, but I, I don't really know much about the story other than it's written for a child's perspective. It makes me wonder when, they, when they're writing it from a child's perspective or for a child's perspective, are they doing so with the 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 assumption, so to speak, that they are closer to source because they are more recently from source. And so maybe they make some assumptions that, you know, it's going to be more intuitive to them and, and they address it that way. I don't know. I'm I'm just Right, so so we're thinking, oh, it's a kid's book. We should pick it up. It'll be really easy to understand and then we get it and we go, Oh wow, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always dangerous to make assumptions, but what the heck. <laughs> so anyway, yesterday we were halfway through a, a pretty interesting article uh, called 20 Simple Ways to Hack Your Happiness According to Science that appeared in Entrepreneur Magazine, entrepreneur.com. And so we said, well, let's do the other half because they were pretty good, I have to say. I mean, you, you see a lot of these lists of, you know, five ways to do this or ten ways to do that or whatever. But this one was pretty good. I, I was impressed that nearly everything on the list is really spot on. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, it was it was a good reminder. And I liked having – I just – I'm a list maker. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of the people who writes the list of 10 things you can do. Uh, yeah, actually, I do, yes. So, uh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, well, let's go to, to number 11 on the list. And this is one that I think almost everybody in the world has some some experience with. Certainly, we've heard it a lot, and that's giving back. 
And I'll read the paragraph. It says, while volunteering and giving back is not only good for the community, it has also been found to improve a person's health and well-being. An earlier study found that people who volunteered had higher levels of self-esteem and happiness compared to people who don't. And not only that, but volunteers also had a 22% lower mortality rate. Now, that one's interesting. You have a longer life if you give back. That's really interesting, the mortality rate part, 22% lower. That seems like a big number there. Well, it reminds me of a study that I heard about within the last year or so called the Nun Study. Have you ever heard of that one? No. The Nun Study originated when some psychology uh, researchers discovered that the Catholic Church, back around 1930, the uh, Mother Superior of the, the U.S. Church at that point, put out a, a letter, a missive, to all of the novitiates around the country saying, we want you to put together a little biogra- biographical sketch of yourself. Just tell us uh, why you came into, uh, why you think you, you want to have a, a life of service as a nun, uh, you know, where you came from in your life, what's important to you. you know, just you know, tell us about yourself. And a large proportion of them, of course, did that. And interestingly enough, most of them were saved and filed away over the years. So that when these researchers found out about it, they inquired with the church, could we get a, a look at them? And they, they got arrangements to look at the ones that were filed with two particular centers. I think one was in Maryland and the other one maybe Colorado. I can't remember where they were exactly. But there were two of these uh, um Nunneries, I don't know what to call them. <laughs> that, right, you know, convents? That, yeah, convents, that's good. Um, two, two of these convents that had retained the records and that had a large number of them on hand and they were willing to uh, let the researchers look at them. So the researchers took them and they started you know, taking all the information and categorizing them and putting them into databases and all that kind of thing. And one of the things they did along the line was they took each of them and then they asked uh, an independent reviewer, someone who knew nothing about the, the study or what they were trying to learn or anything, and just asked them, tell us, you know, read this sketch and tell us what you think about this person in terms of how happy they are. Do you think this is a happy person? Do you think this is an unhappy person? Do it on a scale of one to five. So five if they're really happy and one if they're really unhappy and so on and so forth. And what they found is that after they they compiled all those results, the independent reviewers who said that the ones scored a five who were very, very happy lived an average of 20 years longer than the ones who had been scored a one. Because they tracked them, they tracked them over their lifetime. They knew what happened. You know, they knew what happened with these nuns, and and that was just one of many really interesting uh, pieces of information that came out of it. So apparently, the attitude you have when you're in your twenties can directly impact your longevity. That that part is interesting. That they you know did those kind of autobiographies early in their life, and then <clears throat> that proved out over time and affected their longevity and everything that's amazing it reminds me of a story that i heard and i want to say this was in japan um but it was like basically that the treatment for depression was volunteering really that's like that's what they did with people who were very very depressed is they you know the, the prescription was to get out and start helping someone else interesting very interesting so yeah there's a whole lot 
here that suggests that the attitude that we adopt, not just toward ourselves, but toward others, actually impacts not only, it's not just our longevity, by the way. The, the, the nuns in that study who were rated by the independent viewers as being very happy, not only lived longer, but when they checked the the various things that were recorded about them and that they wrote about themselves over the years, they found they lived happier and richer lives. Um, if they had goals they were going after, they were more successful in going after their goals. If they, uh, uh, if you were looking at in terms of how often they got sick, they were much likely much less likely to get sick later on um, in their older years. They were much less likely to suffer from debilitating diseases. I mean, there was a whole range of stuff. That was different compared to the group that was rated as being a relatively unhappy person. So it's wow. not just one, it's not just mortality. <laughs> it's a lot of things. And it's just astonishing how you, I mean, and the other good news too, there are other studies that have shown that it, you aren't tied down. Like if, if you were a pretty negative person when you were in your twenties, it doesn't mean you're doomed for the rest of your life. It turns out, um, because there was another study that was done. This was done by a, a woman who is on the faculty at Harvard University in the positive psychology department, and I can't remember what her name is. I think it may be Langer. Um, but she conducted this study around 1979, and what she did is she brought a, a group of men together, older men, men in the range of like 60 to 80 years old, and broke them up into two groups, a control group and a test group, and had them all stay in a facility together for a week. The control group, they were just allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. The test group was asked to behave as if the years were actually in the 1950s, as if it was like 20 years previous. And they put up a picture of President Eisenhower on the wall, and they had old Life magazines and Time magazines and Saturday Evening Posts and that kind of thing to, to be read. And each of the uh, participants was given a name badge that had a picture of themselves when they were 20 years younger, and it listed their age when they were 20 years younger, and so on and so forth. So they, they were setting it up in every single way possible to make it seem like it was 20 years ago. And then they were asked to behave the way that they behaved 20 years ago. Now, before they did the survey, before they did the, I'm not the survey, before they did the study, um, they did all kinds of, you know, tests on, you know, physical tests and medical tests and so forth so they could have a range of data to check against. And then a week later, after the study was done, they took the same battery of tests again. And compared to the control group, what they found was that in almost every measure, the men in the test group tested as if they were younger. Um, independent observers said they were three to four years younger than when they, what they had previously said they were a week ago. Um, the ones who were in the test group were evaluated <laughs> as having more strength. They actually were able to demonstrate more strength in the strength tests. Um, they, the ones who had some sort of debilitating disease, they found their diseases had improved in some way. They were, they were more healthy than they were before. And the most amazing one of all, their eyesight improved by 10%. Oh my goodness, that is fantastic. <laughs> Can you That's believe really that? That's <laughs> really fantastic. Now, you also have to take it with a grain of salt because, of course, this flies in the face of most of what the, the whole psychological field has believed for the longest time. So this study has been routinely 
damned by the powers that be within psychology circles and you know they, they reject it as oh well it's a one-off study no one's ever replicated yada 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 you know all these reasons why the study is no good but the study was still done and it still produced those results i just think the it's whole amazing. country will be willing to replicate it right now <laughs> <laughs> i mean wow wow what a result that's just that's incredible but it shows even if you set yourself off to a bad start, you can turn it around and you can get good right. results. Absolutely. Oh, I totally believe that. But that's fantastic. It is fantastic. It also makes me wonder. It used to be like, now, we've, we've had a lot of advances over, say, the last 100 years uh, in medical technology, medical knowledge. Um, so... Looking back at, say, the 19th century is a little bit unfair because of all those advances. And yet, when you look back back at the 19th century, the average lifespan was something like 48 years, 50 yeah. years, something like that. And and now, the average lifespan is something like 78 or 80 or somewhere around there. I'm not sure exactly where it is right now. But the point is, it's significantly longer. So what changed? Yeah. Well, part of it is that medical advances have changed, um, sanitary uh, conditions have changed dramatically. There are a number of things that have changed, but I wonder how much of that had to do with changes in mentality, in, in, in mental health and mental outlook. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what the answer is to that one. I'm just speculating. Anyway, number 12. This is cute. Get a puppy. Oh, <laughs> get a puppy. I started to say... Notice it doesn't say get a cat, but it actually does. It actually does, yeah. (laughs) You want to read it? Go ahead and read it. Uh, People are often advised to get a puppy or a kitten if they're feeling down or lonely, and research only goes to support this. Pets help to provide social support to people, raising their self-esteem, making them more outgoing, and even helping them create healthier relationships with human beings. I've heard it helps people with their blood pressure to have a pet. I mean, they take... I have a friend that um, that rescues dogs and has had some dogs that she's taken to places um, where people were convalescing or recovering, and and um, it helps them. It, it brings their mood up. It helps their blood pressure. Not just puppies yeah. and kittens, by the way. Dogs and cats, fully grown adult dog, dogs yes. and cats, same deal. Oh yeah, hers were fully grown, fully grown um, dogs, I think. Uh, so, yeah, get a puppy. I I don't have any pets at this moment, and we we lost our dear dear little Yuki about two years ago. She was a little Maltese that has a someday. I'll tell you the story of how she came to be because it's amazing. Um, but uh, we we're still in the phase of do we really want to get a, another puppy? I'm not quite ready yet because you know getting a puppy is kind of like having a brand new baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. A lot of work, but they definitely bring a lot of joy into your life. And, and it says get a puppy or a kitten. I would also advise get an adult, <clears throat> an adult cat or an adult dog because they're the ones who are harder to adopt. Um, yes. In, in the case of my wife and I, we didn't actually go out of our way to adopt our two cats. They found us. They were abandoned by people who had lived across the street from where we lived in Virginia when those people were evicted from their home. 
And we didn't know that. We found out about it about, uh, we, we, we assume it was about a month later. We're not 100% sure, but based on conversations we had with the new neighbor who moved in and so forth, we, we kind of pieced together that was likely when they, they moved out. So they'd been on their own for about a month outside. And fortunately it was summer. So, you know, mm-hmm. while they were hungry, they weren't, you know, freezing to death. But the point is that, um, one of the cats who we ended up calling Joy came to our property, came across the street and was kind of poking his nose and seeing, you know, can I find any nice people over here? <laughs> and well, we, my, mine came to me the same way, so that's interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. And uh, Harmony was the other one. She was the one that almost broke my heart because you can see how she would might be described as the runt of the litter. She was small. She was really thin. She was real thin. And she had a deformed paw. I, we believe now it's congenitally deformed, but at the time I thought it was broken, and I was ready to kill the owner who had, who had abandoned her. But um, mm-hmm. but it, it turned it turns out it was I think it's just congenital. She has a, an awkward way of walking as a result of it. But you could tell how it would affect her ability to survive on her own in the wild. And she was I mean there was nothing to her. Today she's a fat cat, but. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's been well-loved now. Yeah, That's somebody's great. got a lot, too much canned food, but, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. These these two cats, we aren't even sure how old they are. We're, we're I guess that they're about four to five years old, and I guess that because when we got them, we said, well, we got to get these cats fixed. Um, so we took Joy and Harmony to the local um, SBCA, the local animal shelter, and they, they, uh, we, we turned them in at, at uh, like 9.30 a.m. We got a call at 10. You can come get your cats. And we said, what? And, oh, yeah, th- these cats have already been fixed. Oh, how do you know? Oh, well, they were actually part of the Capture Fix Release Program. That's not what they call it, but it's like that. Uh, apparently, right. it's a program that they use to, um, to not only uh, help reduce the animal population by fixing animals that are either uh, abandoned or, or, you know, living raw or so or you know however you want to describe it and uh, apparently what they do is they tip the ears they clip a little bit off the ear and that's their indication that this animal's already been fixed through that program and both these cats had their ears tipped so okay so that's how we knew and oh by the way the other thing they told us joy was a boy (laughs) (laughs) that's great and i'm the one who decided Let's keep calling him Joy because he really yeah. is Joy. He he is a joyful cat. He he's almost joyful to his own detriment sometimes, and to our detriment. Like for instance, he'll climb up on the coffee table to get attention, and and in order to get that attention, he'll be thrashing all over the place, and stuff's flying onto the floor and so forth. So you know his joyfulness can be a little bit damaging at times, but he is just an enthusiastic cat. He, I mean, he's the ambassador to the neighborhood. We live in an apartment complex, and everybody who lives around us knows who Joy is because he comes up and introduces himself to all of them. So I mean, he's a joyful cat. He's got be joy even though he's male he's got to be joy well see that was supposed to be the name and so you had to not you had to be kept from that little secret until you gave the appropriate name (laughs) (laughs) so joy and harmony but yeah having two cats come into our lives especially since we weren't really expecting to have them has been enormously good and we've both had cats in the past so it's not like it was a new experience to have cats but i mean they, they just there are so many different ways that they just pick you up during the day just by being who they are. 
Yeah, and that's a, that's a good lesson to us is that they don't try to be anything they're not. That's true. Yeah, that's really true. So, yeah, get a cat, get a puppy, get a, get a dog, get a, get a kitten. It, it pays off. It's worth it. And, yeah, you have to take care of them, but it's worth it. It's still worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. I agree. It's worth it. Number 13, this is one of my favorites because I do this one a lot, and I, it really helps me a lot. Listen to music. And the only thing I would yeah. qualify it is, of course, they, they actually say so here. You, you you can't just play any old songs. Uh, they want they say you want to play upbeat music. I would add to that, play upbeat music that has nice lyrics, or at least not nasty lyrics. Because there are some upbeat tunes right. that have some really, you know, ugh kind of lyrics. you got to have the good lyrics to go with the music. Because if you have both, that is incredibly powerful. At least it is for me. I don't know about you, and I, and I don't know about others, but I actually have a playlist of positive songs, songs that I've loved over the years that had a very positive feel to them. They were upbeat, you know, they nice, pleasant melodies and so forth. Uh, currently, it's about 35 on the list, but I want to add to it over time. But anyway, I have it on my iPhone, and I play it with headphones as I do my daily walks. So as I'm out there, I'm walking, and I'm feeling the music, and I'm hearing it, and I'm hearing these positive lyrics, and it's, it's amazing. After like 20 minutes of this, I get this silly smile on my face that I don't even know I'm wearing. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, it definitely music music feeds our soul. It does. And you know, the other thing about music, like lyrics, um, is that words and music are different parts of the brain affected, right? So right. it's the reason why advertisers make jingles. Oh yeah. It's because it gets in there, and so we can use that the knowledge that when we're listening to music, we're using both sides of our brain, so that's brain power there. Mm -hmm. And if we're careful to choose lyrics that are, you know, life-affirming um, and that in, it's a, great, it's a great way to bring our mood up and to hack our happiness. Oh, in a huge way. The, the thing that truly amazed me I mean, I, I've always been musically oriented. My, my best sense is my auditory sense. I was a musician. You and I talked about that before we started the show today. But music has a tremendous impact on my nervous system. And I've often wondered if it has just as much of an impact on other people's nervous systems. Because if it does, man, I don't know of anything that works better than hearing good music that has nice lyrics or if it's just um, music alone, just nice music, pleasant melodies and so forth. I don't know of anything that does more positive stuff for the nervous system than music. So I talk about that. What do you recognize when you're listening to it? What do I recognize? Um, hmm. All I can say is my mood lifts. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. When, when I first started exploring the law of attraction, I had a lot of difficulty shifting my mood you know how abraham talks about going for one step better and feel you know just just reach up for one more step and so forth i had a lot of trouble doing that so it's taken me quite some time to learn how to do that deliberately but with music i mean if if it's a 10 step scale from depressed to exhilarating happiness instead of going for one step just by listening i'll go up four or five that's how powerful it is. It, it, it just shoots me up the scale. And it, I don't have any other activity that I can think of that does that as dramatically as music does. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of how strongly music affects me. 
I think that that's, I feel anyway, like that must be true for most people. Um, I remember being in, in um, coaching school and we would, we would all be together and then, you know, you're in a chair and you're listening to a lecture and even if it's really exciting, it's still, you know, in an hour everybody needs to get up and stretch and move around. We used to call it an energy break, just to right. get up and move around. And, you know, one of the instructors would always flip on this playlist and, you know, my gut instinct is that it's similar to your playlist, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were all there getting certified to be coaches, so, so we're listening to upbeat music that's got a happy vibe to it. And the effect on everyone would be almost instantaneous. It's like, you know, 30 seconds in, people are dancing and smiling, and, and uh, I, it just happens so fast all the time. And I noticed that with myself. And I think that I don't listen to music enough, and that's really weird for me to say because for years I was a singer-songwriter, and I love music. But sometimes I get in this place where I'm just, I really also enjoy a very quiet house. And I recognize that I need to be more conscious about music, you know, more making sure that I I probably need to build a playlist like yours, you know, uh, more intentional about putting the music on because it definitely lifts my vibe. Absolutely. You know, as you were saying that, it occurred to me, I, I'm also like you, I like a quiet house. Like, especially if I'm doing some work, I don't really like to have music in the background. It's too distracting for me. And so, so I've always appreciated having a quiet room, a quiet house. But I'm also beginning to wonder, just like this kind of cued in my mind while you were saying that, is it possible that wanting that, that quiet environment so often has more to do with wanting to stay in the comfort zone and not expand oneself? Possibly. Yeah. I don't know if it's true, it, but it, it just occurred to me in the middle of, you, of what you were saying. So now I've got to pay attention and say, okay, let's be honest myself, with myself. Next time I'm, I'm wanting that quiet, what am I wanting it for? Mm. It's going to be interesting to good see question. what my answer yeah. is. <laughs> no, it's a good question. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that we we do like to be in the comfort zone, and oh, yeah. the comfort zone, I think, is not correctly named because sometimes our comfort zones are not comfortable; uh, they're just familiar. Yeah, that's probably a better word, isn't it? The familiar zone. Yeah, and so I think that yeah, it's just familiar, and to break out of it is sometimes feels like too much work or it's a, just a struggle or it's just easier to stay in what's familiar but we find the great treasures when we're willing to break out of our comfort zone uh, it's never as bad as we think it's going to be <laughs> so yeah i'm definitely that's that's got to go on my list of things to do is to create a, a happy playlist definitely well i'm glad that we encouraged you to take a step that's good <laughs> <laughs> yay which goes to actually number 14, which is read for fun. And I, I, as I'm reading that, I'm saying to myself, I'm reading The Vortex for the first time. I'm reading The Law of Attraction for the first time. Those two books I hadn't actually delved into. Am I reading them for fun? And I know I'm reading them because I need to learn what's in there. I think I probably am reading them for fun, which is a weird well, thing to say. Because it, those, it says, when, when was the last time you read something just for fun? Yeah. Well, we all feel too swamped with work or too tired for leisure reading, 
Research from the University of Liverpool's Center for Research into Reading, Literature, and Society found that reading made people feel happier and more satisfied with lives overall, and it's also been found to be a great stress reducer, too. Um, you know, this is interesting, reading for fun. When I think of reading for fun, that's a, it's got a twist to it because I love to read, and when I'm reading, see, when I'm reading a Law of Attraction book or I'm reading a positive psychology book or I'm reading a book on, you know, anything metaphysical or even esoteric, in my mind, it's in the work category. I, and I have fun with what I do. It's still not in the category of something I read for leisure. I think that's a better word. That, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, uh, uh, as I was thinking about the fact that I've been reading that stuff, I was asking myself, okay, I know this is normally work. Because it is. I mean, the, the books are pretty dense. And it, if you look at them on the surface, it looks like they're just repeating themselves over and over again. You have to read really carefully to realize, oh, they're, they're actually giving you a lot of nuances in here as you go through this. So right. it, it takes work to read it. And so my initial reaction would have been just like yours. This is work. This is not leisure. But I also have to say, yesterday when I was reading on uh, the first few pages of The Vortex, compared to what we've been doing previously, we've been watching some television show, I got a huge lift out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe oh, it was the contrast. Oh, it's definitely a vibe lifter, yeah. I mean, may- maybe it was the contrast because of the junk that's on TV, but, I mean, it was a big shift in my in my perception of how things were going, so to speak. So, yeah, I was working on it, but it also seemed, relatively speaking, that it was fun. And that's why I was hesitating. Is it fun? I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> well, what's interesting is I I realized at some point that when I ask people that I'm working with, that I'm coaching, if they are a kind of, I guess, a type A personality, you know, workaholic, whatever you want to label that, um, somebody that's very, very intent with work and doesn't allow themselves to play a lot, I will say, do you read fiction? And the answer usually is no but it's not just no it's like no (laughs) like it's like of course not you know because in their mind often it's a waste of time and i realized that oh you know maybe that's what i need to do to expand that area of my life where i'm fun and leisure and just doing something just for the pleasure of doing it you know not because it's going to add to my knowledge for my business or because it's going to have some effect on my health just no just for the pure pleasure of doing it. And so I actually started reading fiction more. And what I noticed was this. You know, we talk about getting good sleep. That was on our list yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, the science is saying now, that the, the blue light from our phones and our computer screens really messes with our sleep cycle. And anything that you're reading now about sleeping is going to tell you Put the phone down, turn the screen off at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at the latest and read before you go to sleep. So I'm reading before I would sleep. But when I sleep best, it's when I'm reading fiction. And I think it's because when I'm reading something that in some way I, <laughs> I can work into you know, knowledge for what I do, my brain is in that kind of work mode, like memorizing it and like really taking it in. It's a totally different experience than when I'm just reading a book for the fun of it. 
Well, I don't know if you realize it, but you just addressed two of the points on this list at once. Not only did you address number 14 about read for fun, but look at number 20. Put your phone down. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were talking about that um, earlier, about gamification and game theory and the Skinner box and um, with the with the phone, I hear it's the same thing. I actually read something yesterday where someone said that they were addicted to their phone, and I kind of felt, oh yeah, I probably am too. Until I read the article, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not addicted to my phone like that. <laughs> um, this was somebody that just pretty much had let their whole life pass them by because they just staring at the phone all the time. Right. But how they broke the addiction was that they went into their settings and they changed their phone to grayscale. Oh, that's a clever so there's idea. there's no color on it. Yeah. And they said everything that you look at on your phone, that it's all those colors, you know, they affect your brain. If we only knew how powerful our minds were, we would just be walking on water. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're learning. We're learning. But We are. We are. Yeah, I, I have are, to say so. I'm not addicted to my phone because, uh, well, first of all, I, I don't always have the most up-to-date latest phone. I could care less about that. And secondly, I use my phone just you know to reference. I, I, if I were to add up the amount of time I spend on my phone every day, it's probably about 15 minutes. <laughs> it's not that much at That's all. That's great. Because <laughs> I just don't That's... want to. There's nothing there that really attracts me. So I'm always fascinated by the people that. who are addicted to it. not it's not in my way. Um, like I said, when I read that article, I was like, oh, no, yeah, I don't have this problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it really does apply to people who have their nose buried in their phone all the time. But really, I mean, addiction to me is an interesting topic, and it's something that I find to be really applicable to understanding more about the law of attraction and, and this whole idea of positive psychology. Because I really believe that addiction is another way of saying being stuck. And whenever we're dealing with something like we're trying to attract something into our lives and it's not coming and that's because we're kind of stuck in that resistance mode, that's another form of addiction from my perspective. What do you think? Does that match your idea or do you have a different definition? Well, my simple definition of addiction is, is anything that we go ahead and do even though we know it's not good for us. Okay. So... You know, we could a lot of things could fall into that category, and I think that what we talked about a moment ago about the familiar zone plays into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're more comfortable with things that are familiar, right? And so when we stay in that comfort loop of whatever's familiar, it starts. It can start to become an addiction. It's, That's a good phrase. Like the comfort autopilot. loop. I like that. Yeah. That that that, that really summarizes that that. That word loop really summarizes what addiction is all about. It, it's it's being stuck in a loop and not breaking mm-hmm. out of that loop. That's why I think of it as being stuck. But I like your definition. That's really good. Okay. Let's see. We we were on 14 and then we went to 20. Let's go back to 15. <laughs> 15, pick up a hobby. I have pick a, hobby. a hobby. You know what my new hobby is? What is it? Doing a daily podcast twice a day. <laughs> As opposed to your old hobby of doing the podcast once a day? Well, actually, once a week. <laughs> once a week? So it's yeah. gone from once a week to once a day to twice a day. Yeah, within the course wow. of about three weeks. That's momentum. It's Well, by some people's perspective, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, we'll see. 
when I was reaching out to people like you, I, I, I decided I was going to reach out to life coaches because you guys always know law of attraction really well. And also because I knew that when I, when I reached out to them, I would get a higher level of, of, um, interest in, and, um, uh, you know, reaching back to, 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 to show interest. And, and sure enough, that's what happened. I'd say of the people I reached out to, probably half got back to me. One of the persons who got back to me, actually more than half got back to me. A couple couldn't do it, but a lot of them got back to me. One of the people who got back to me said, wow, that's so much work doing two podcasts a day. How do you do it? <laughs> and I wasn't seeing it that way at all. For me, this is just yeah. fun. So. I guess it proves that a hobby is what's fun. It doesn't matter how much you're doing it. It's it's whether or not you're enjoying it. Right. You know, I used to do something. It wasn't, I mean, I guess I could, it might have started as a hobby, but my whole life I have always done different kinds of needlework. And uh, at some point, you know, 25 years ago or so, I started, haven't done it in a while, but I was beading wedding dresses. Oh, my. And so I loved it. It was, it was very meditative for me and I would literally sew thousands of beads on a wedding dress you know one by one and um, I remember my best friend telling me she would go insane she said oh I don't know how you do that, that would, I would go insane if I had to do that for 15 minutes and you do it for three hours and uh, so you know one thing one thing turns somebody on and the other person they're like oh you know couldn't do it for five minutes that's true. So it is true. It's not for them to do a podcast twice a day. Obviously, no, obviously not. No, not a good good fit there. It, it reminds me of my wife when my wife for a number of years did trash to treasure. You know, go to the yard sales and find stuff and turn the stuff into something new and and you know turn around and sell it that kind of thing. And I. She is not a person who likes to get up early in the morning. You couldn't get her early up early enough on a Saturday when it was time for the for the tag sales. I mean, right. it used to be getting up at, at like 7 or 8 was drudgery, but for the tag sales, it was 5. <laughs> and without an alarm clock, it was like, boom, I'm out the door. See you later on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here's what I think is interesting about this number 15, pick up a hobby, is that it says, Picking up a hobby and feeling like you're spending your time valuably has been shown to significantly boost happiness. Studies show that picking up a hobby and pursuing a passion can actually add eight hours of joy to a person's week. It gets their mind to stop thinking about stressful things like work, money, or strained relationships and instead focus on something that helps them feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight hours of joy, so, that's a lot. Yeah, that's the part that hit me. I was like, eight hours of joy to a person's week. I thought, well, that's interesting. We talked yesterday about buying time. Mm-hmm. Buying some time by hiring, you know, uh, domestic help, by getting takeout, by going to a restaurant, not having to cook, buying some time. And this, it's like adding eight hours of joy because we're talking about law of attraction. So we know that joy is at the top of the emotional scale. Right. Right, and it's like I use a, a system called energy leadership in my work, and it also has an emotional scale, um, and it's very similar to uh, the law of attraction, you know, the Esther Hicks scale that you'll find in the law of attraction and the Abraham Hicks books. Okay. Very similar. Now, here's the thing: at the bottom of the scale, when we're in despair and depression, we don't create a whole lot of things consciously. 
True. We're in. We're stuck in that. We're we're still always creating, right? We all create our own reality, but most of us don't do it consciously. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in that place, we're in a victim energy type of place where right. everything happens to us. Yeah. And we've all been there. Anytime we're in a situation where we're like, oh, this is terrible. This is not going to get any better. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's where we're down there at the bottom, right? Yeah. As we yeah. move up that scale... Creating, conscious creating, and creating, and letting in the good things into our life, it gets easier. Mm. So with joy at the top of that scale, that's sort of what we're all aiming for if we're conscious creators and we're trying to apply the law of attraction in a conscious way where we can make what we want out of our life. We're all kind of aiming for joy. And here's, here's a way that this scientific article is telling us Here's how to add eight hours of joy to your week. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's telling That's, you, here's how to zoom, zoom to the top quickly. Right? So I'm like, wow, okay. That's pretty awesome. Now Picking I've, up a hobby. I've yeah. really ramped up my hobby. Like I said, going from once a week to like 11 times a week. So does that mean I get 88 hours of joy out of this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I know you're you're getting the minimum um, RDA of joy probably yeah, right. at this point. <laughs> I, I have to say I can't imagine the government issuing an RDA on joy and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> That's just. Oh yeah, no, I can't either. But we have to do that, so we'll we'll make it, and we say. Get a hobby will give you eight hours of joy. I mean, that's that's pretty significant when you think that that most you know people if, or if you just look at what the common work week is, people work an eight hour day a lot of the time. Right. I mean, that's like a full time job mm-hmm. is eight hours a day. Yeah. Right, and so we're going eight hours of joy. Hey, that's that's pretty awesome. So you get days worth. You're getting a day's worth of work back every week. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So invest, Excellent. folks, invest. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I have new uh, motivation for hobbies again. That's Excellent. good. That's really good. Which leads nicely into number 16, considering what we're talking about here. Embrace all your feelings. So – it's all the emotions from the positive to the negative and everything in between is what they're talking about, really. You want to read it? This, this is, got, is probably going to be my favorite thing on the list. Okay. Um, 16, embrace all your feelings, anger, sadness, loneliness, joy. All of these emotions are part of the human condition, and you can't escape them. In fact, rather than trying to avoid ever feeling depressed or angry, embrace these feelings and learn to understand them, especially when you're feeling a mix of opposing emotions like cheerful and sad simultaneously. One study found that a mixed emotional experience, for example, someone might say, I'm sad that my pet passed away, but I'm happy I got my dream job, actually heightens a person's well-being and overall life satisfaction. By accepting your emotions and taking the good with the bad, people were found to be happier and healthier. Oh, I could I could say a lot about this. Well, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but especially that, well, here's what's funny, the taking about that phrase because I totally agree with this embrace all your feelings uh, that phrase right there though can get into a core belief that might not always be so positive and I 
that phrase, taking the good with the bad, but it's kind of flipped around. In other words, having the belief that anytime something good comes into your life, there's going to be something detrimental about it as well. It's funny, when um, I saw that phrase, I am sad that my pet passed away, but I'm happy I got my dream job. What I thought about was the Abraham principle of the pivot. In other right. words, what, what, instead of focusing on the bad part, shift over to the good part. So I didn't see this as a particular state. I saw it as a change of state. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think the most important thing to take away from this idea is that all of our emotions, I always say all of your feelings are a miracle. And we often get schooled as youngsters that certain feelings are okay, certain emotions are okay, and there's a difference. You know, a feeling is a, a knot in my stomach, a lump in my throat, a crick in my neck, and an emotion is, you know, the four, the four ones that everyone's familiar with, sad, mad, glad, and scared. Um, but the more we can expand our emotional vocabulary and learn more words to describe different feelings, the better off we are, and we can learn how to express them in ways that are appropriate and positive. You know, people often get afraid of anger. They don't want, they so they just keep it inside and stuff it down. And it's mainly because they don't want to do something that they're going to regret. And we don't have to. We don't have to have an inappropriate display of anger. Um, sometimes just saying, I feel really angry about this situation. Um, you see, I didn't yell or scream or throw anything or hurt anyone. I just said, I feel really angry about this. And that is expressing the anger and owning it. Uh, it's not this thing makes me mad. It's I feel angry. So I'm owning it. It doesn't have control over me. But I'm accepting that emotion. And then I can ask why. Why does this thing, you know, have this charge for me? Why yeah. do I feel so angry about this? And it's always going to drill down to mm -hmm. a core value that we have. That's true. And and so once we get there, there's the pivot. You know, I had a conversation with somebody one time that had made the decision to stay at home for the day with her two small children and just spend time with them, which sounds pretty easy and fine, right? It's like, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she made that decision, she got a phone call from a friend who was going through something and <clears throat> wanted help, wanted her to come right then and help. And, and she really struggled with saying no, but she said no. And then she felt terribly guilty. And I was explaining to her that here's the thing. Here's why you feel guilty, because it's attached to some value you have. You feel guilty that you didn't help your friend. Why? Because, she said, because, because friends are supposed to help friends. Because <laughs> if I was, I mean, you know, she said it like I was supposed to know, right? Because right. obviously everybody knows why I'm guilty. I'm guilty because my friend needed help and I didn't help. That's what you're supposed to do. And so I said to her, okay, so you have a really strong value around being a great friend. And just that statement started to turn her where, oh, yeah, it's it's from the bad, uncomfortable, you know, feeling. I, I rather say uncomfortable feelings are bad. They're all just giving us valuable information. But it's that pivot from, you know, feeling guilty 
or angry or frustrated to recognizing why and recognizing that, oh, I just have a really strong value around this. Okay, so how can you stay home with your two little children today and also value and honor your value of being a great friend? There's always a way. There's always a way to still honor the value and also, you know, do do the thing you want to do. Right. And so I think that I, because I talk to so many people, I, I I talked to someone once and said, when's the last time you got angry? Oh, I don't get angry. <laughs> yeah. so look, we all have things that happen or things we experience that actually really should give us. And when we find it and we're okay with it, we recognize it's just human emotion. Like this article says, it's just part of the human condition. We can't escape that. We need to just be honest with ourselves and accept those things. When we do, we're, we're on our way to working ourselves up that emotional ladder to that place of joy. Yeah, to me, the real question is when you're feeling the, the, the negative emotions, do you want to stay there? If you want to stay there, then that's going to be pretty easy. If you want to move away from them, doesn't mean you have to, to reject them as, as something terrible. It means you need to get them out so you can release them, because releasing is really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to release this anger and get it out, release the sadness, release the, the loneliness, re- release the despair, the depression, and so forth, so we can move to the area of the range that we want to be in. Uh, and you can't get there until you release it. But if, you, if you're going to just keep taking steps that keep you there, well, more power to you. <laughs> but it's not what I would pick. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the word emotion, I always look at it as the E is for energy. It's energy in motion. And yeah. emotions often require, like you said, movement, a release. So sadness often requires tears. You know, it's interesting about crying is that there are certain chemicals in the body, brain chemicals, body chemicals that need to be detoxed from our body. And the only way they can detox from our body is through tears. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so all of our emotions are really useful. We just have to, you know, learn how to allow them to move. Mm-hmm. And once they do, they move through, and and we release them, and they can go. But you're right, holding on to them, um, I don't know. That's not usually what people want to do. A lot of times people resist, like you said, like, no, I'm not going to feel this. I'm not going to have I'm going to shut it down. And what do we know about resistance in the whole idea of law of attraction is that it's not that we're looking for, we're really just looking for non-resistance because as soon as we're non-resistant, that's when everything starts to move for us. So resistance shows up in two different ways. Mm, it does. It shows up as attachment and it shows up as aversion. Mm-hmm. And I always say that's the yes, yes and the no, no, right? Attachment <laughs> is like, yes, yes, I have to have this. I have to work out this way, this thing. I have to get this job or I have to be with... This person, I want this to happen. Yes, yes, yes. And then there's the no, 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 I don't want that. Oh, get that away from me. No, no, no. <laughs> but they're both resistance. 
it almost seems like when you're in that resistant frame of mind that you don't really want to change. It, it, that's, that's the way it, it appears to somebody else. You, know, you, you just want to stay there, which isn't necessarily what's going through your mind. But how often do we say, I want to feel better, and then we spend the next 10 minutes talking about all the things that make us feel worse? <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's that com- that familiar zone again. Yep. It's a story that we've told so many times that we can just tell it in our sleep now. And so we're on autopilot and we're just, we're going to tell that story again. And that's why <laughs> changing the story is so important, right? It is. We've got about four minutes left and we want to leave a little time for a couple of announcements. So let's see if we can zoom through these last three. I don't know if we can do we it or not, zoom. but let's try. <laughs> we covered 20 already. We did cover 20, so we've got 17, 18, and 19. So 17 is smile, which I have to say is an excellent <laughs> thing to do. It actually does work. If you, if, Even if you force yourself into a smile, you actually get a little jolt of um, hormone that kicks into your system, the feel-good type hormone. And it actually does give you that little boost. It's not necessarily a huge one, but if just pushing yourself to smile for a few seconds actually gives you a little boost of hormone that makes you feel better. So it's a nice little trick if you're feeling in a bad place. Start with you know pushing yourself into a smile and then take another step of some kind. That's awesome because just the process of smiling starts the brain chemistry of feeling better, yeah. and that can be like the beginning of that feeling better. Absolutely, <laughs> and it's a physical process. It's not just metaphysical. It's definitely physical. It really does happen. So 18 is something that always brings a smile to my face, <laughs> flowers. Like I have right now in the house probably four dozen roses in the house. Do you really? Um, it's, yeah. Flowers are on the shopping list like milk and – no, I don't even drink milk, but I was going to say milk and bread, and I don't eat either <laughs> one of those things. But they're, they're on the shopping list like just staples. Um, so the house is full of flowers. So, well, I guess you could always eat the flowers. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what did you say? Don't eat the flowers? <laughs> no, I said you could always eat the flowers because you didn't buy the milk and the, and the bread. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this. So one study found that the presence of flowers has an immediate impact on a person's happiness and long-term effects, too, with people reportedly feeling less anxious, less depressed, less agitated. Wow, I didn't even know that. I guess that's why I like flowers. <laughs> Yay. All I know is that when I buy my wife flowers, she smiles and feels better. And so that's my evidence. I don't have to read the medical evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me either. I just know I love them. <laughs> and then finally, this is one I've only tried once. You tell me. Maybe you're more of a practitioner. It says practice yoga. Yes, practice yoga. I have to get my yoga mat back out. I practiced yoga probably at least four times a week for about 20 years. Wow. And. And um, I've I've not practiced as much in the past five years, but I will say that not only an instant mood boost, but I have had times where I've been practicing yoga in the middle of a, a yoga, you know, sauna, and suddenly had an idea that was just fantastic, a creative idea, or remembered something that I was having trouble remembering before. It's like, oh, my goodness, yes, that's it. You know, it's like... The brain really um, opens up, it seems. And it says here, building a stronger connection between the head and the heart. I would say it's totally worth is that I was doing 15 to 20 minutes a day, and it was enough for me. It was great. It was a great practice. And when I do yoga now, I do yoga for 15 to 20 minutes. So it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour and a half class that you have to drive across town for. (laughs) 
Well, we've got, be a small yoga. We've got about 30 seconds left before the music kicks in, so I want to remind people, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe <laughs> to the podcast, LOAToday.net. You can do it on iTunes through the iTunes store or through the, Google, through the podcast. And on Android, you can do it through Google Play. And, Cindy, if they want to reach you for coaching, how do they reach you quickly? Oh, they find me at CindyChavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E. C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. And Joel Elston won't be with me tomorrow, but uh, Cindy, you've agreed to sit in, so we're going to get to do this again tomorrow. That's really great. Awesome. Yay. All right. So we'll see you all tomorrow here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. 